and welcome back to I Wish I Was You. My guest today is Peter Havers. He is a freelance copywriter and has recently quit his full-time job in order to travel around the US talking to climate tech experts. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to expand your curiosity, how to fall in love with learning, why you should be making a to-do list, how to write amazing content for LinkedIn, and what an accountability partner is, and why you should have one. So, let's hear from Peter. It's your podcast premiere, Peter. It is. How do you feel? Nervous, excited, ready to go. Ready to go. So, let's talk a bit about what you're up to. Like me, you've recently quit your job. You've come to the US for the summer, but unlike me, you have a bit more of a noble cause. You are, well, I'll let you explain. What have the last six months looked like for you and how did you end up here? Wow, what a question. Okay, so I was originally working at a personal branding agency for founders and CEOs. So I was a ghostwriter writing a lot of LinkedIn content. And then roughly, I'd say two months ago now, I decided actually the next chapter of my life is a bit different. I'm going to return to freelancing. So I'm going to travel to the US. I'm going to meet as many people in climate tech as I can. Um, and when I return to the UK, I'll work with them as my clients. What is climate tech and why is this a focus for you? Yeah, so climate tech is, you know, I don't have an actual definition. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, it's just any tech that helps to reduce emissions, carbon emissions. In terms of why it's important for me, um, I read an IPCC report a while back now, maybe six months ago, on climate change and just how time sensitive it is right now how little time you really have and honestly it scared the shit out of me and I thought you know what do I do Mm. for the first few months of sort of having read that I didn't know what to do I was completely immobilized I thought I'm not a tech founder I'm not a scientist I'm clueless and then I realized over time actually that cluelessness was almost a secret power a weapon that I could use to get people sort of engaged with it I could learn and share my lessons and in the process hopefully other people would learn with me. What have the first steps been on that kind of like learning journey? Like like obviously you, you're reaching out to people, how did you manage to like get the push to have enough momentum to you know quit and and come here for six weeks to talk to people because you know that sounds like it's, it's easy saying it mm-hmm. you think wait how does that add up? How did you find all these people? Yeah, so the push was really by accident in the sense that I've been living in my flat for about 18 months. I really felt like a change and I gave my notice. What I didn't realise at the time is that actually finding a flat in London right now is very, very hard. I'm Don't told the that. hardest it's ever been. Don't tell me that. I have to move back in oh, September. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's changed now, fingers crossed. Um, but no, at the time when I was looking at flats, the flats I go to, I was told, you know, they get 60 messages for a single room. Mm. It was awful and stressed me out a lot for a number of weeks. And then I think I woke up one morning and thought, actually, you know, I could be stressed the remaining, remaining however many weeks I've got to find a place or I could say it differently. You know, for the first time in two years, I won't have a tenancy agreement if I don't find a flat. This is a great opportunity. I won't be tied into anything for six months. I will probably never have this opportunity Maybe not again, but for a while. So I may as well 
start thinking about how I make the most of it. Mm, I really love that. I feel like we have a really similar, our lives are on a very similar trajectory right now. I honestly had the nearly exact same thing where I was coming up to the end of my tenancy as well. And I was like, what a nice opportunity to like not be in London for a bit. I mean, obviously you have got the thing of like, well, I will have to come back and like find somewhere, but it's like seeing those opportunities that like you wouldn't normally see. How do you think you you get those? Like, how do you think you find those opportunities? Because I've been interested in this concept of living your life by design rather than by default. And what I mean by that is, you know, not just following the normal path just because it's what you think you have to do. You know, mm-hmm. like you go to school, you come out of school, you either go to uni or you get a job or you go to uni and then you get a job and then you stay in the job and then you get promoted and then you maybe quit and get a better job. And you know, the goal is just to earn money, get a mortgage, have a family, go on holiday once a year, twice a year for a week or two. And then you retire, you save mm-hmm. up for your retirement and then you do everything when you're 65 or probably in our case, like 75 yeah <laughs> like how did you I feel like we're lucky to have realized that that is mm. not necessarily the way that you have to do things at such a young age how did you come to that where did it come from yeah I, I was lucky in the sense that my dad I think has always lived his life by design mm-hmm. um I think he had a few sort of short-term jobs but he's always been I guess entrepreneurial he's always been self-employed running businesses and I, I watched him growing up. I worked with him in his warehouse. I really just picked things up from him. So I've always seen that other way of doing things. Um, so for me, it wasn't so much as figuring out in the moment. It was always sort of a thought process that mm. perhaps I've had or a way of seeing the world. So the thing is, though, you're not an entrepreneur. Like, freelancing, mm-hmm. yes. Like, I, I, I'm trying to call myself a freelancer too but it's like not really I don't know if I if I can call myself that yet so you're not an entrepreneur neither am I you know what business do you think you have traveling around the US with no you know monthly recurring revenue Mm -hmm. no no like subscriptions stashed away like you know no one is like paying you month by month necessarily you know you've got to keep working at getting the money in Mm -hmm. um I know you've spoken about trusting your gut feeling. Like I've read a few things on your LinkedIn, on your Twitter about trusting your gut. People get very scared by that. Like people don't like trusting their Mm -hmm. gut. Why do you think that is the right way to go? Because I agree. Like that's why I'm here. Uh Just by trusting that I think it's the right thing to do. But a lot of people don't see it that way. Mm. You know, I I think it's interesting to note that I was freelancing before. Mm. And so this leap for me isn't as scary as perhaps it would have been had I not done that. Yeah. I've got a experience of freelancing. I've sort of proven to myself that it can work. And this time around, I've got more contacts, mm. more followers on LinkedIn and everything else. Okay. So maybe you can give me some advice. Okay. Because it's my first time freelancing. I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I have just kind of come here on a whim. I had nothing lined up when I quit my job. I had, I had two people, I had two friends that owned businesses and they were like, we will let you do some of our odd jobs. Neither of them did in the end. So I was kind of just like, crap, I have no money. Right. (laughs) What would you tell me to do differently? (laughs) You know, 
one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had was just to accept where you're at. I had imposter syndrome really badly, actually, the first few years of freelancing. And looking back, the issue I had is that I was comparing myself with senior copywriters. And I was sort of in the same ball pit. I was not fighting for work, but I was being compared to those copywriters. Mm. And I sort of held myself to that standard. And of course, I was never going to meet it. They've got 20, 30 years of experience. I wasn't there. I wasn't expected to be. But in my head, I thought I was. Mm. And so I would just sort of own the stage you're at. And I think people will, will appreciate that. Yeah, that, that is, that's also like w- what I'm struggling with as well. Because I've been doing a bit of copywriting. I've been like, wait, maybe I'm not very good at this. Like maybe, because I, I technically don't have any experience in it. But it is something that I enjoy doing. And I love like, I love branding. I love copywriting. Those two are very interlinked, you know, coming up with a, a brand tone of voice and that kind of thing. Mm. I, I really love it. And then I got, someone asked me to, to do it for their brand. And when they did, I was like, they were like, so like, can you show us some things you've done before? Like, you know, we really want to see a portfolio. Let, let us know exactly how you're going, how you plan to do this. And like, you know, send us a proposal. And I was like, um yeah sure I will do that and then I like got off the call and I was like don't cry (laughs) don't cry about this Elspeth (laughs) it's just it can be so overwhelming like that imposter syndrome do you still get that now I think on the edge of not but I'm very aware that in the next stage of my career it could well come back Mm. I think you sort of rise to a certain level and then you you go further than that and it comes back and it's I think it's a lifelong thing Mm. do you think it's important do you think it's necessary yes I do yeah I think it's one of those things that if you don't feel imposter syndrome it probably means you're not working hard enough yeah as harsh as that sounds it probably means that you're not outside of your comfort zone enough if you know what I mean Mm. like obviously it's gonna ebb and flow you can't constantly be crippled with anxiety because that's no way to live. But I think if you're not feeling that every now and then, every few months, every year, then, you know, it means you're probably not moving forward very quickly. So maybe this is where your imposter syndrome might come in. Okay. Not only are you not a business owner, you're also not a climate expert, really. Like, you know, you've come here to talk about climate tech, Mm -hmm. whatever that means. And you really have no business doing that some may say not me okay um you're here to learn you're here to talk to people I really like the belief that you have in learning because I I share that belief as well I think it's like the most important thing that we can be doing as human beings I love the idea of being a lifelong student you know constantly learning new things what is your like learning ethos what's your opinion on learning how do you make sure you're learning all the time and why why have you come here on this big learning adventure? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the answer to that is curiosity, really. Mm-hmm. Um, someone once called me the most curious person I've ever met, which I took to be a compliment. I'm sure it was. Um, and yeah, I, I just always loved seeing the world differently, I think. Mm. Where do you think that comes from? I'm not too sure, actually. Mm. I'm not too sure. I've always loved reading. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. What would you say to someone that 
maybe isn't doesn't feel like that you know people that feel very comfortable where they are and they're not too interested in in branching out too much and I'm sure that's not a problem for everyone but people who want to open up their curiosity a little bit more and want to start learning more and and want to talk to more people and, and that kind of thing how do you think if you weren't you how do you think you'd go about it Mm. I um, watched a documentary on Bill Gates a while ago and you may have seen it I don't know there was a model I really remember which is when Mm. you learn something it creates sort of a web so other things Mm. become more relevant and you can link them together I guess my advice would be to just focus on something that interests you you know if you're really interested in American football for instance you know just find something around American football and then you can link it in later to geography or politics yeah. or something else it's just finding your initial sort of starting point yeah I think that's really useful advice I think there's no way that you can really focus all your time and energy into something unless you really enjoy it I've heard a lot of people talking about this recently I hear this a lot from founders I speak to a lot of um, founders and entrepreneurs and I'm like how do you get the motivation to like love your job so much and they're like it's because I'm ge- I genuinely love what I do. And I think for a lot of people, that's really difficult to get their head around because I've definitely been in the position where I've been working in a nine to five job or in a retail job. And you're like, I can't believe there's people out there that like working. And I'm still kind of struggling with that, if I'm honest. I like, I- I'm here on my like, my nine week sabbatical. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like it, it, I still not sure if I'm gonna get the, the the love of working. But I think you are correct in that if you find something that you really enjoy doing, you will start finding ways to link it into other areas of your life and other branches of of the web. Mm. Um, and yeah, that that is how that's how things come to fruition, really, isn't it? That's how opportunities open up, and it's how. I think that's how everything kind of works in life is what I'm realizing as an adult. I asked the audience to send in some questions as I always do. I didn't tell them who you are. I just gave them a brief description yeah. of what you're up to and what you're doing. Um, the first question, and kind of we've kind of been over this, but I feel like we can go into some more detail. How did you plan for this trip? How did you get the, you know, it's you're doing quite a it could be quite a military trip because you're, mm. you know, you're traveling around the US. I've just come here to come to New York and I'm pretty much staying here for the whole time. Um, whereas you came with a plan to firstly go to wherever, then go to New York, then go to DC, then go to the Bay Area, then go to LA or whatever. That's like a hell of a lot to plan for while you're also in the process of like quitting a job and coming to grips with, you know, your new life. Mm. What, what steps did you take? I wish I could say I took a lot of steps, but truth is I didn't. <laughs> um, I don't know where I'm staying from Sunday onwards right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's best for me, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm someone that could overplan and really spend a lot of time planning. I'm not actually doing what I came to do. Mm-hmm. I could think or overthink about the hostels I want to stay in, which flights to take, if I'm taking a flight or a train or a bus. Um, so it is sort of learning to, to let go which is something I've never been particularly good at. Mm. But I'm, as I say, learning to do that on this trip. Why do you think that's going to be helpful? Like, what, what do you think that's... I mean, maybe you don't know, mm. but like, 
letting go is it's probably the opposite of what I need to do to be honest really <laughs> yeah I probably let go a bit too much <laughs> interesting the next question was how are you finding it basically what were your first thoughts of getting here um freelancing while you're here how did you how did you cope initially with the change also I'm I'm interested in what you thought of like the US culture I don't know if you've been here before I have yeah you have okay because I found it to be such a huge culture shock when I arrived it's interesting I did been done the way I expected mm. everything's so similar yet so different yes. and that's why I found it quite strange and disconcerting yeah I'm totally the same my thoughts when I got here I was like it's strange because I've only seen America in films and on telly and then I was like wait this is actually like real life though yeah but anyway back to the question okay. um how are you coping with the with the like change of nine to five to to freedom mm. so I, I've sort of got a a step in the door, let's say. Mm -hmm. So I spoke to someone I worked with at my old job before I left and said, will you be my accountability buddy? Mm. So every night I say, this is what I've done today. This is what I'm doing tomorrow. And it's that bit of routine, normality. Yes. It keeps me grounded. She's amazing. She tells me, you need to do more. You need to focus on this. Stop procrastinating. Do this, do that, which is exactly what I need. I absolutely love this. I do this as well. I do this with um, my flatmate here. I'm like, Kylie, you need to hold me accountable to the fact that I'm going to get up at 6.30 tomorrow and go for a run. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm not going to be awake. And I'm like, but I've told you now. So it means that I am going to do it because mm. otherwise I'm going to feel guilty. I think that's actually a really good piece of advice for people listening is that if you really struggle to hold yourself accountable, it's because it's really hard to hold yourself accountable. You need someone else to help you with it. And... Mm. If you don't have someone that gets it, it is a little bit awkward. Because I remember back home going to my flatmate at home and being like, will you be my accountability partner? <laughs> and she was like, what? Like, mm -hmm. you sound insane. Like, you sound like some self-help idiot. And I was like, I know, but like, honestly, it sounds like a really good idea. But yeah, I think that is, I totally agree with you on that one. Um, what gave you, next question, what mm -hmm. gave you the push to finally leave? Like, what was the tipping point? Price of flight. Really? Yeah. That's... I, I procrastinated for so long. actually booked my flight maybe a week before. Wow. So I was nervous. I was really nervous. Um, obviously, I came to the US five years ago. Mm. I think in the back of my head, it was, will it be the same? How long were you here for five years ago? Six weeks. Okay, so you've done pretty much... So this is kind of your second time doing this. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Why were you procrastinating? I'm not too sure. I think it was, you know, will it be the same? Mm. It was... I'd just gone from a team of, I think, about 16 people mm -hmm. who I got along with really well. It was a lovely, lovely atmosphere. Mm. To go from that to working solo mm. was going to be a big shock. You know, I have friends in London, I can spend time with them. All of a sudden for six weeks, I wouldn't have that. Yeah. So I think that, that probably played a, a large role in it as well. Mm, I'd like to talk a bit about that as well, actually, because it's something that I also had to deal with coming here. You're traveling by yourself. 
I am. Which is pretty scary to a lot of people. I'm also traveling by myself. Luckily, I'm staying with a friend now, but for the first couple of weeks, I was totally alone. How do you deal with yourself? How do you manage to not get pissed off with yourself? Because I've noticed that when you spend a lot of time alone, it's like when you spend a lot of time with a friend. If you spend if you spend too much time with one person, you start getting pissed off with them. If you spend too much time alone, quite often you start getting pissed off with yourself. Do you find that? No. Do you not? No. You're so lucky. Um, <laughs> yes. So I, when I first moved down to London, I couldn't afford a deposit in a flat. So I, I moved down to London three years ago. Mm. Didn't have any clients. Just thought, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to have a go see if I can become a writer. Mm. And so I stayed in a hostel for six months. Wow. I lived there for six months at by Hyde Park. It's an incredible experience. But I was surrounded by a lot of people. Mm. And so I've learned, I guess, for this trip, that I can survive in a hostel, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I sort of know how to enjoy it, but also spend time with myself and look after myself in that mm. way. How do you how do you do that? What do you do when you need to like look after yourself and have some alone time? Yeah, I, I think it's just being prepared to remove yourself from the situation. Mm. Sometimes it's hard if you're in a group mm. and it's a really social atmosphere. You might feel a bit guilty or weird or like a loner or whatever else, but it is just having that belief in yourself and that you need to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's self-love, self-care really, yeah. I would say. That actually brings us on really nicely to the last question that has been left. And that is, where do you get your self-belief? Because this is, you have to believe in yourself quite a lot to freelance. I mean, I know this is your second time doing it, so you have that. But even back the first time round, you know, you have to believe in yourself quite a lot to be able to rely on yourself. Because having a job, you know, you've got a contract and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of responsibility in keeping a job because, you know, you've got to deliver. And But, but at the end of the day, you're in a contract and if you're getting fired you have some notice usually whereas you know you've got to fully rely on yourself right now Mm. yeah you know you know I posted on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and one of the nice things about my job my previous job is that I saw how effective LinkedIn can be at opening doors for you um won't name names of course but I saw one of our clients raise a million through a LinkedIn post Mm. so I messaged him said I saw your post let's invest. I'd love to invest in you. Yeah. Um, I saw people invited, invited onto podcasts. I saw people invited to write articles, various outlets. Mm. Um, so I guess that's where the belief comes from. I've yeah. seen other people making LinkedIn work. Uh-huh. And I've just trusted that if I, you know, produce good content, content that resonates, fingers crossed, it will work for me. You worked in content creation. And mm-hmm. you're still, I mean, I found you through LinkedIn, so your content clearly works. What are some tips you'd give people for starting on LinkedIn? Because I really recommend it too. I've been posting on LinkedIn for about a month mm-hmm. um, and I've got all of my jobs through it so far. So all of the freelance clients I'm working with now, I've got through LinkedIn. It's been a huge resource, but I'm struggling to, you know, narrow down my content, make it concise and make it everyone is you know you hear so much noise about what you should be doing a lot of people are saying you need to focus on a niche you need to make sure you know exactly who you're selling to you need to sell to your network and it's all quite aggressive Mm -hmm. what would you what would you say your biggest 
content tips for LinkedIn? I think there's a few. First one would be vulnerability is really attractive on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. People are so used to being you know, bombarded with sales posts and look at me, I've done this amazing thing. If you open up and say, I'm struggling, or this is the reality of being self-employed, or mm. this is the reality of working as a account exec, or whatever it is, people can relate to that. And that's really, really attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually it does well, likes wise, engagement rise. Um, I would also say it's just a, a confidence thing that you, you have to overcome at some point. And it might take a while to get there, but you know, you have to trust it pays off. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, if I posted on Instagram, I didn't get enough likes, I would delete the post. I did that way too often, mm. way too often. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we, we grew up in a world where, you know, you really felt judged by your social media mm. output, let's say, your content. LinkedIn, my view is it's a bit different. People either won't care and they'll look at the photo and go, actually, not the best post. I'll scroll on, whatever, not a problem. Or they'll really, really like it, mm. engage with it. Um, so they either really care or don't care, which is nice because, you know, whatever you put up, it doesn't matter at the end of yeah. the day. People, you know, will see it for a few minutes, max, think about it, and then they'll move on with the day. Mm. It's not as big of a deal as I used to make out. Um, so it's psychological as well. Mm. Also, something about the LinkedIn algorithm um, is a lot kinder than Instagram or, dare I say it, Facebook. Don't even know how Facebook works, not going to lie. But the LinkedIn algorithm works by if someone reacts to your post, if someone likes your post, the post gets shown to their network, which is like, just makes so much more sense than any other social media that I'm on. Mm -hmm. Like... I used to hate LinkedIn. I thought it was for losers. I was like, I'm not a 40-year-old man. Cool. Stephen, like, I'm not going on LinkedIn to talk about my promotion. But it's actually really good. (laughs) Anyone who wants to start working for themselves, I think there's no other way to do it than being on LinkedIn. Let's move on to our wind down questions. The two sure. questions that I must ask every guest that comes on this podcast. My favorite question to ask, what is one habit that you have or one thing that you do every day or every week or however often that makes you feel really good? To-do lists, mm. writing to-do lists. Um, when I feel a bit sort of out of control, that I've got so many things going on um, and I'm anxious and I'm overwhelmed, always write a to-do list. What's your to-do list ethos? I've read a lot of books about, you know, crap like this. Um, And lots of people have lots of different ways to write their to-do list. Are you a write everything down person or are you like a set three main goals kind of person? It depends really. Depends on how overwhelmed and anxious Mm. I'm feeling. Sometimes I do need to write, you know, shower, eat, go to the shops, whatever. Mm. And sometimes it is just the goals of the day. Mm. So it's, it's really depending on how I'm feeling. Mm, I agree with that. I also find that if I'm not writing down my intentions for the day or like whatever, I can get pretty out of control. Not like crazy, but just, you know, not feeling in control of what's going on. And I think that's a really important 
part of life you know feeling like you have a grip of what you're doing I think it's very easy to spiral out of that as well when you're working without a boss yeah over you um and the other question that I must ask who do you look at and think god I wish I was you it changes all the time (laughs) right now it would be Peggy Guggenheim Okay. Um, so an art collector. I think she was born in the 20s. She lived in New York, in Paris, in Venice, all over the place. Bit of a maverick, really. Just did her own thing. Was never really part of the times. She was always sort of one step ahead or just doing things differently, which I really, really admire. Love that. We haven't had anyone that obscure and creative so far. We haven't had anyone that bohemian. Really? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. And if people want to check out what you're doing, where should they go? To LinkedIn. To LinkedIn. To LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I need to update my URL actually, but it's just Peter Havers in the search bar. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.